0: preach to us. Amen. It's a joy to be in the house of God tonight. It's a privilege to be around God's people and together around God's word. Spend time with him. I do appreciate the opportunity that I've been given to break the bread of the word of God before us tonight. I don't take that lightly. I know that it's uh, something that uh, it shouldn't be taken lightly. Uh, it's the Word of God's important. It's, it's essential for our life. Uh, if we don't have it, we don't have anything. Everything that you and I have that we exist upon is in this Word of God. Everything that we have spiritually is in the Word of God. That's our foundation if you have your bibles tonight if you'll turn to the book of John chapter number 19 John chapter number 19 I won't give you a few things by way of introduction uh, I won't read the entire portion of scripture that I want to cover tonight for time's sake because I want to try to cover the entire chapter of the of chapter number 19 uh, I want us to highlight some things and look at some things in this and In light of that, I want us to think about this thought. The most infamous day in the history of mankind. The most infamous day in the history of mankind. On December 7th, 1941, the Japanese armed forces bombed our our troops there in Pearl Harbor. Uh, President Roosevelt came on the day after and his statement was that it was a day that would live in infamy. In infamy. That word, if you were to look up Webster's definition of the word infamy, you'd find out that it says it's disgrace, dishonor, and great wickedness. Disgrace, dishonor, and great wickedness. Uh, there is also another day that uh, you and I know of that that same word was mentioned, and that was the day that uh, President Kennedy was shot. Uh, that uh, the statement has been said that it would be the most infamous day in the history of the United States was the day that President Kennedy was shot. But I'm gonna. I want us to key in on. The most infamous day in the history of mankind. I want us to look at tonight, by way of the scriptures, I want us to look at our crucified Savior. I thought about as I I was asked to preach, I thought about many things that I, I, many things ran through my mind. Do I preach this or do I deal with this thought or that thought? And the thought kept coming back to my mind as Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I promise you tonight, I'm not gonna preach anything to you that's new. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm not gonna say anything to you tonight that you don't already know. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you know about the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. But I want us to look at several things tonight and I I think it does us good. Uh, I know most of us, I know I do myself, every once in a while we'll pull out the photo albums at the house. You pull out the photo albums. It's not like you haven't seen those pictures before. It's not like you don't know who's in those pictures. But you pull them out to try to remember. You pull them out to think about And to think about those good thoughts and think about sometimes those not so good thoughts. I want us tonight to try to paint a picture of the most infamous day in the history of mankind. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Lord, tonight you know that we stand in a place where we cannot stand within our own power and with our own might and do anything that would have any lasting and eternal value. God, I pray tonight that you would help us I pray that you would undergird us. I pray that you would empower us and help us to preach through the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray as we look at this passage of scripture, may we get a brand new look at you. Lord, may it be a renewed look. And Lord, as we look back at what you did for us, may it be, may, may it be something in our lives that would renew a, a fervency and a fire within us to reach a lost and dying world. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you for what you're gonna do. Thank you for the the songs, the singing. Lord, thank you for everything that has been done thus far tonight, and we pray that you'd have your will and way in the remaining portion of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. In the book of John, chapter number 19, as I said, uh, it's the day that the creature raised his hands against the creator, thought of a way that uh, the creature was thinking of ways that of uh, crucifying uh, the creator. It was the day when mankind raised his rebellious hand against an almighty God. It was the day when the son of God became the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. It was the most infamous day in the history of the world. I want us to take a look at the crucified king. By the way, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. He's our savior if you've been saved by the grace of God. If you have not, I want to call your attention to the scriptures tonight and as you look at them, I want to try to paint a picture before you so that you could receive him as your own personal savior. The most important decision a person will ever make in their life is not who they'll marry, although that's a very important decision. The the most important decision you'll make in your life is not where you'll go to work, although that's an important decision. But the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is to decide to trust Christ. Uh, Jeffrey and I were talking uh, just last night, I guess, we were talking with one of my other sons and we were talking about the fact of salvation and how that it's a, it's a point in time in our lives when we come to the conclusion that he's right and we're wrong. That's all salvation is, is when we come to that point to where we, we realize that we're wrong and he's right. Everything he said in the word of God is right and everything that we think about, that we know about is wrong. I want us to look at a couple of things tonight. I want us to look first of all at the king that has been condemned. In verse number one down through verse number 17, there's a king that's been condemned but I want us to look at verse number two and verse number three. I want us to look at the groups of people that we find in this passage of scripture. There are several different groups of people that we find here. In verse number two and verse number three, the Bible said, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it upon his head, and they put it on him, a purple robe, and said, hail king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. I want us to see first of all, the ruthless men that were about the cross, the ruthless men that were at the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those soldiers were ruthless men I thought about as I was studying this and, and looking at it, I thought about the fact of people that you and I know, people that we may work around, people that, uh, that we may be uh, acquainted with, those ruthless people, those people that seem not to have a conscience about anything, that seem as though that nothing uh, nothing sidetracks them those people that are cruel to other people and it seems it doesn't matter to them. That's the kind of men that the, the soldiers were around the cross. They plaited a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. They put a robe of purple around on him and, and as they did that, they mocked him and spit in his face. They, they uh, even said here, Hail, king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. The Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings, was condemned in in this passage of scripture. There were the ruthless men that we find in verse number two through verse number three, and then I want us to look at the religious men that we find in verse number four down through verse number seven. The Bible said, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. That's interesting when we look at it. That's always been interesting to me that Pilate brings him not the first time but again the second time. And he brings him out and he says, I find no fault in him. There's no fault that I can find. Pilate's been back in the back chambers and he's been, if you will, he's been interrogating the Lord Jesus Christ. There's even a, even later on down this passage of scripture, he makes a statement and tells Christ, he's begging Christ to tell who he is. He, Pilate's looking for every way that he can to get out from under condemning the Lord Jesus Christ. He don't want to condemn him. He don't, he don't want to condemn him, but he knows he must. The reason that he must is because it was God's plan. He had no choice in the matter, but I want us to see these uh, uh, these ruthless men. I want us to see uh, these uh, religious men. Pilate, uh, the ruling men here. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, behold, I... I bring forth unto you uh, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priest, again, there's another group of men here, the religious men in verse number six. When the chief priest therefore and the officers saw him, They cried out, Crucify Him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. I I, I've been around places where you have Christmas plays or you have Easter plays or, or even plays out just any time of the year and 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 I've always never wanted to be one of those soldiers, Brother Gary. I've never wanted to be that, that, that person in the crowd, even in acting out a play, I've never wanted to be that person that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. I know that he had to be crucified for our sins, but as we look at this passage of scripture, understand that there were ruthless men there there were religious men there and there were ruling men there. Look if you will down in verse number 18. In verse number 18 the Bible tells us where were they crucified him the two others with him on the one side and Jesus in the midst. There was rebellious men those that had rebelled against the law, those that were thieves, even one of the thieves looks at the other thief as he mentions and talks with the conversation that they have with Christ when he says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, when the, when the one's railing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one looks over at the other and he said, we deserve to be here but he's done nothing amiss. He's done nothing wrong. They deserve to be there, why? Because they had rebelled against the law. By the way, as we look at these picture and we, as we look at these people, I want us to understand even in our own lives where we stand. We were a rebellious crowd. We were breaking the law. If we weren't breaking the law, in fact, every one of us has broken the law at some point and some time. And the Bible tells us if you've broken it in one part, you've broken it in all. If you've broken it in one part, you're guilty in all. Doesn't matter how good we think we may have been, we've been the rebellious men. We've been, we've been sometimes, even before maybe we got saved, maybe some of us, maybe not all of us, but maybe some of us were those religious men. That crowd that was crying, crucify him, crucify him. I want us to think about also as we look, I want us to look, if you will, in the book of Luke chapter number 23. This gives us another view of what's going on in this in the passage of scripture it's another account of what happened and what took place there were those rebellious men but there were also those riotous men in Luke 23 in verse number 21 through 23 the bible tells us here in verse number 21 down through verse number 23 but they cried saying crucify him crucify him And he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chase chase him and let him go. And they that were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified, and the voices of them that were the chief priest prevailed. It were those riotous men, those ones that were rioting. They were inciting riot by yelling out in the crowd that that religious crowd was standing among the crowd and, and as Pilate brought him forth, that religious crowd was, was causing riots among everyone saying, crucify him, crucify him. I want us to think about at the same time the regular men that were there. You say, what about the regular men? This took place right after the gathering for the Passover. Jesus had just come into town riding on a donkey and they had laid down their leaves, palm leaves before him and cried out, Hail, Hosanna. They had, they had all but said that he's king and no doubt some of that same crowd that was laying the palm leaves down, some of that regular crowd has now been incited, incited by the riots and because of that, they're standing there watching the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified. May I remind you tonight that it's also us We were not there to cry with the voice that we have now, but it was because of our sins. It was because of our lives. It was because of what we did in our lives that he had to be crucified. Those regular men, those that necessarily, they weren't out breaking the law. They weren't the ones causing the riot, but they were standing there watching nonetheless. How many times have we known that those that are bystanders are just as guilty as those that are in the crowd causing everything to happen. If, you, if the crowd would disperse, things might would be different. In many situations, I, I think about sometimes, I think about when I was in school, and in middle school, and, and two people would get a conflict, and when they, when they got a conflict, they may would have worked it out. They may would have backed away. They may could have resolved the problem without any conflict. But yet what happened? This group comes and stands around and this group stands around and, 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 and everybody starts saying, fight, fight. There's those that are inciting that riot. Those, there are those that are nothing but those that are standing by and watching. Can I tell you tonight that you and I are just as guilty as those people that were standing around the cross the day that the Lord Jesus gave His life for mine and your sins? I want us to think about not only the cru- the, the the King that was condemned, but I want us to look, if you will, in verse number eighteen back in the Book of John, chapter number nineteen. I want us to look in verse number eighteen down through verse number twenty nine. These these verses give us a brief account of the time that Jesus spent on the cross of Calvary. John doesn't give us some of the details that maybe some of the uh, the other gospels may have given, but he gives us an account of what was taking place on the cross of Calvary. In John chapter 19, beginning in verse number 18, we'll read down through verse number 29. The Bible said, In verse number 18, and they crucified him, the two others with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This title read many of the Jews of the place where Jesus was crucified was nine to the city And it was written in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat, now the coat that was without seam woven from the top throughout, they said therefore among themselves, let us not rent it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, uh, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by him that he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciples, behold thy mother. And from that day that disciple took her into his own home. After this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and full of, they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon his, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I want us to think about a couple of things as we look at this passage of scripture, as we look at not only the king that was condemned and the men and the people that were around that that caused the condemnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I know and understand from the scriptures, we know why he really died. We know why he really gave his life on the cross of Calvary. It was for my sin and your sin and the sin of all of mankind. But understand, as we look at this passage of scripture that we just got through reading, I want us to look at not only the king that was condemned, but the king that was crucified. Our king was placed upon a cross the pain of that cross, the, the Bible tells us in verse number 18, it simply sums it up in they crucified him. But I want you to think of a couple of things this evening when we begin to comprehend the pain that Jesus suffered, the pain that he went through. Remember, before this ever took place, before he was ever nailed to the tree, he had been scourged by Pilate. They had taken him in. They had beat him in his face. They had spit upon him. They had taken the cat of nine tails. They had had lashed him with the cat of nine tails, thirty-nine stripes. Historians had told us many times that many people did not even go, didn't even make it through the scourging. A lot of times, that cat of nine tails, as that whip was laid to their back, those those nine. Tongues of that that whip would wrap around the spine and literally take it out of the body. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he was marred more than any man. There's There's not a portrait that we could paint. There's not a picture that we could draw that would show what Jesus Christ looked like that day as he was taking the cross to Calvary. But understand when he gets to Calvary, after he's already suffered the scourging, after he's already suffered the beatings, after he's already suffered those spitting in his face and those railing upon him, understand as they lay the cross down and our savior freely stretches out his arms and has them nailed to the cross as they're nailed to the cross, there's a median nerve that runs through the forearm and down through the hands that those spikes that were driven through his hands would have touched and would have began to be irritated by those spikes. That median nerve that was irritated by those spikes would send the body of our Lord Jesus Christ into violent spasms because of that nerve that's been hit. I don't know how many of you in here have ever had a pinched nerve or you've ever had back surgery where where they've had to take a disc off of a nerve. I can tell you by experience I've had two of those and in that I understand what it is to have those nerves that are never, there's never any relief from that nerve. As our Savior hung there on that cross, as they dropped it into the ground, so to the point that every joint in his body was knocked out of place. Most of us can't even take it when one of our knuckles get knocked out of place. Maybe some of us have had a a shoulder that's knocked out of place. Every joint in his body was taken out of place. And as he was there and as the, those hands are stretched out and as those spikes are laying against that nerve and his body's in the, having those violent spasms and he, his legs begin to weaken because of dehydration, because of gangrene, because of things that are setting in upon his body, because of the exhaustion that's taking place. The Lord Jesus Many times while it was on the cross, his knees would begin to give and his back, which was raw from the beatings, would slide down that wooden cross. And as he slid down and as his arms were were stretched out and, and as his body went down, it would put pressure upon his chest where he could not breathe. And the only way to get breath was to take his feet and push about against that spike that's driven through his feet and push himself back up so he could fill his lungs with air one more time so he could breathe again. I've thought about many times, as far as I know, biblically there's about seven sayings that Christ made while he was on the cross. I'm talking about someone that that had, had bled, had been punished, had been beaten. Now he's hanging on the cross in suffocation, in dehydration, in blood loss, in exhaustion. And yet he takes the time. One of the most amazing things, I can recall the day, Brother Gary, I had heard it all my life. I had heard if Jesus Christ would have died just for me, if he would have been hanging there just for me. But the day that that became real, I was teaching school at Gospel-like Christian School and we were going over the last sayings of Christ and we were talking about when Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Brother Gary, for the first time, I realized that was me. He wasn't just saying, Father, forgive those that are around the cross. But he was looking down through time and he was saying, Father, forgive Jeff Perry. Forgive him of his sin. Forgive him of the time that he's rejected me. And even after the fact that I've been saved by the grace of God and yet I've failed him many times. And he was saying, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive him. What a savior. What a savior that would love us enough to care enough for us as he's hanging on the cross in the pain and agony that he's going through. And he would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he was facing this, the most horrible death, the Romans had come up with crucifixion They had come up with it because that was the most horrible way to die. But the Bible tells us that Jesus had to hang upon a tree. The pain of the cross, I want us to think about the pain of the cross, but not only the pain of the cross, but I want us to think about the purpose of the cross. Why did he go to the cross of Calvary? Why did he do this? It was for my sins and for yours. Romans chapter five and verse number eight. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter five and verse number eight. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a a blessed thought that he didn't ask us to be righteous before he saved us. He just asked us to be holy after he saved us. Thank God that he cared enough to go to the cross of Calvary and to bleed and die for our sins. He did it so he might magnify the love of God to a lost and dying world. The Lord Jesus Christ was magnifying The love of God. I guess the the most quoted verse of scripture in the Bible is John 3.16. One of the ones that we, we all got our children to learn first. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God. Thank God that God loved us. God, there there was a time when God repented that he had made men. It didn't mean that God had changed his mind. It meant that God was sorrowful, that man had turned out the way that man had turned out. Can you think about God and the love of God? Can you think about that as, as we maybe sometimes, maybe some of us think of our children that may be wayward. They may not be serving God like we want them to serve God. They may not be living for God like we want them to live for God. And because of that, we have heartaches and we have pains. Can you imagine how God feels when he knows the extent of the love that he showed and yet we don't live for him? Yet we don't do those things that he would have us to do. The purpose of the cross, the the reason for the cross, the cross of Calvary was so that men, women, boys, and girls across this world would not have to die and spend eternity in hell. John Bunyan wrote a book, Pilgrim's Progress. He also wrote another book, the other book was Visions of Heaven and Hell. He wrote it along the same lines as he wrote Pilgrim's Progress and he, went to, he was carried into hell and he was shown hell and then he was carried into heaven but when he was being carried from earth to heaven, he said he passed by creatures that had no, no, no look upon them. No, there was no face that could be seen. He got to heaven and the the one that was taking him into heaven and, and showing the visions of heaven, he asked him, he said, what were those creatures that we passed? He said, those were the creatures who have no hope. Could you imagine Could you imagine if Christ had not bled and died for us? If Christ had not died on the cross of Calvary, if he had not went to the cross of Calvary, you and I would have no hope. You and I live a life full of hope because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But had he not died on the cross of Calvary, we would have had no hope. We would have we been, as Paul said, we would have been of all men most miserable. There would have been no hope. I want us to think about not only the purpose of the cross, but think about the primacy of the cross. There seems to be a movement today in our day and age that they want to take away from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to pull apart the plan of salvation. They want to pull apart the gospel. They want to take repentance away or this one wants to take faith away. This one wants to take uh, this, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ away. When all of those things are an intricate part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there had not been blood, there would have been no atonement. If there had not been the death you and I would have had to die. You see, the death on the cross of Calvary was necessary. It had to be that he died on the cross of Calvary. It had to be that he gave up the ghost. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. There had to be a price that was paid. The wages of sin is death. It was necessary, the purpose of the cross, the primacy of the cross. People are taken away from that. They're taking the blood away. They're taking the agony away. They're taking the stripes away. But can I tell you, when they take one thing away, it's no longer the gospel. You can't take repentance away from salvation, you can't take faith away from salvation. You say, why not? Because they're so intertwined. They're, they're, they're there. We're repenting, we're, we're doing what I mentioned a moment ago. We're saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. We're repenting of the fact that we think we're okay. How many people do we know in this world today, how many people do we work around? How many people did we, uh, do we see on a daily basis that they think they're okay? I, I, I go to church on Sunday morning that's all right. I, 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 I do my penance, I, I, I drop a little offering in the plate, I don't bother to come back. I, I go out on, on, on Monday and I cuss like the rest of them, I go out and I, I drink it, I go out and I, those things are no good. They need, they need repentance, they need faith. It's the gospel, the complete gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what is the gospel? Paul told us in the book of 2 Corinthians what the gospel was. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You can't take either one of those away from the gospel. If you do, it no longer is the gospel. Paul said there are those among us that preach yet another gospel something that's not true, they're preaching something false. There are people around us today that are preaching fallacy and preaching things that are wrong and as they preach that, it is not the gospel. You and I need to present to this lost and dying world the gospel. I'll try to hurry on down verse number 30 down through verse number 42. I won't take time to look at that but the one thing that I want to key in on is what Jesus Christ said in verse number 30. when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Do you know why he bowed his head and gave up the ghost? because nobody could take it from him. He he told Pilate before this, he said, I have the power to lay it down and if I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to raise it up again. They mocked him as he was on the cross. Uh, Jesus had told them uh, days before that, he had told them that there would be one that, that would tear down the temple and raise it up again in three days. They didn't understand that. It it went over top of their heads. But he was talking about himself as he was placed in a tomb as he died and his life was given up. He gave up the ghost and he was placed in that tomb. As he did that, Jesus Christ made a statement, it is finished. I'm not gonna tell you anything new tonight but I want you to think about this as we think about that, that saying, it is finished. There, the, the word for that is to die. Can you imagine as Jesus Christ cried out on the cross, Tetelestai? Can you imagine the blades of grass that heard to die? The blades of grass that had been cursed. The, the trees that have been cursed. Could you imagine those, the, the, the animal kingdom that have been cursed? All those things have been cursed. And he cried out to Telestai, It's finished. It's finished. That word is a servant's word. It was used when a task was done. He'd come back and tell his master to telestim. It's finished. It's a priestly word. It was used when a sacrificial animal was examined and found worthy. He would say, Tatelestai. It was, it was a farmer's word. When an animal was born and, and perfection was in that specimen, that farmer would cry out the word tetelestai. It was an artist's word. When that artist had spent time in front of that canvas and they had made that final stroke, he would cry out to tell us It's done. It's finished. Can you imagine the relief upon those that understood what Jesus was saying on the cross of Calvary? Can, 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 can we just get a grasp on the fact that when Jesus Christ cried out, it's finished, he was talking about our salvation. It's finished. It's finished. It was a merchant's word, when two merchants would, would uh, get together and they would haggle over the price of something. When they would come to that conclusion, when everybody was satisfied, they would cry out to Telestai. Can I tell you this? When Jesus Christ cried out to Telestai on the cross of Calvary, God the Father was saying, "I'm satisfied. It's finished." It's done, the blood's been shed, the death has been done, and now he's gonna be laid in the, in the tomb, and yet that wasn't the only thing that took place there, but I want you to think about these two last things. I want, to, I want you to think about the completion of the cross of Calvary. After Jesus uttered this cross, he died and was taken down off the cross and was buried. He was placed in a tomb where he lay for three days and three nights. Not even his disciples completely understood what was gonna happen and what was gonna take place. You say, how hey, you know that? Because they came to the tomb looking for him. <laughs> On that third and glorious morning, when they came and the stone was rolled back, some of them even thought that his body had been stolen. But yet as they looked in and they saw that the napkin was folded in its right place and, and the wrapping of the Lord Jesus was folded and as, as the angel looked upon them and said, why seek you the living among the dead? Why, why are you looking for him here? For he's risen in light of that, I want us to think about this one fact. In Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and verse number 6. The book of Matthew, chapter 28, and verse number 6, the Bible said, He's not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Not where he's at, but where he used to be. There's a continuation. You see, uh, those that follow Mohammed can't say what you and I can say. Those that follow Joseph Smith can't say what you and I say. Those that follow Charles Taz Russell can't say what you and I say. I can say with confidence, it was finished and it continues today because he rose from the grave. He got up on the third day, he ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. What a blessing! What a blessing! I think about I think about Stephen when I think about the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the right hand of the Father. I think about when Stephen was stoned. He had preached. If you go back over to the Book of Acts and you look at that statement and how Stephen had preached and he'd preached the truth of God. And he had gotten some people, they were so indignant. They were so angry at what he had said. They took him out and they stoned him. What did Jesus do to welcome him home? He stood up. His usual position was to be seated, but he stood for him because Stephen stood for him. What a blessing to know that there's a continuation What a blessing to know it didn't all end at the grave. I've never been there. I've heard of men that have. I've never seen it with my own eye, but I've seen it by faith in the word of God that he's not there. He's risen. And because he's risen, I can live for him because it's not me that's living, but it's he that's living in me. You see, I've I've made this statement before, if you see anything bad in me, you can go ahead and blame that one on me. That's not him, don't blame him. If you see anything good in me, that's not me, that's all him. If there's anything good in you or I, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because of anything we've done, but it's because of the continuation of a crucified king.